0: All right. We're live on GarageBand. We are live on Twitch. I have my notes up. So, let's begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of Wild, Messy, Infinite Love, another rendition of a live podcast. My name is Brother Snades, and I am here excited to bring you yet another installation of the video game spirituality. This one is called... Episode twenty. Holy fuck! This is the twentieth episode, everyone. That's so exciting. Um, so this one is called Episode Twenty: Video Game Spirituality Part Two. Kirby. We are the sum of our parts. That's right. This week we're talking about Kirby, which is so exciting. Uh, before we get into that, just want to give you some a few updates. Um, So I'm continuing on with this streaming schedule and this podcasting schedule. I was actually thinking about it during the weekend. Um, This weekend was really busy for me. I had to be at an open house on Saturday. So I worked pretty much all day Saturday. I had Sunday to sort of recuperate and try to sleep as much as I could. And then we were back up in Northern Virginia for my wife's grandmother's 82nd birthday so we got to see family who we haven't seen in months which is really fun but because of that I didn't really have any time to do anything in terms of streaming or podcast writing or anything like that this weekend and chances are a lot of my weekends will end up being like that so I know last week I talked about the goal is to release podcast episodes on Monday mornings. I think what I'm going to do is actually spend the first 30 to 60 minutes of each of my Tuesday streams doing this live podcast format Um, it gives me the opportunity to record the podcast and then it also gives you the viewers an opportunity to engage with me while I'm doing the podcast which is always fun Um, I always really enjoy getting to chat with other people about this sort of stuff so I fully encourage you to hop on to twitch and jump on the chat and write some things down. Um, Like I said, I'm checking in on the chat. I've got it up on my screen on the right-hand side. So, um, But yeah, so I'm thinking Tuesday nights will be podcast recording and then game streaming. And then Wednesday mornings, the podcast will go up on to Podbean and iTunes and Spotify and wherever else you like to listen to it. Um, And then... Thursdays and Fridays will be streaming days still. So Thursday nights, I'll be streaming. I'll try to be streaming 7 to 11 um, on Thursdays, somewhere in between there, depending on what's going on during the week. And then Friday evenings, I'll try to record by like, I'll try to be on by like 8 or 9 o'clock and record to like midnight, 1 o'clock. Again, depending on what's going on in the week, how tired I am. And then, of course, we'll still do bonus streams over the weekend. But that's sort of the general schedule that I'm going to be going with. I'm still doing No Shave November. Um, we haven't had anyone donate yet, but if it's not too late. We still have a couple week a week and a half left of november um so if you want to donate if you want to put money towards a good cause if you want to raise awareness for testicular cancer if you want to support me as a creator um please feel free to jump onto that subscription or donate button um on twitch or go over to my patreon that's patreon.com backslash you can donate there um you can subscribe to my Patreon channel. There will be a new short story coming out pretty soon for Patreon subscribers on there. So you can read some extra content of mine if that's what you want to do. Um, But yeah, so that's the general schedule. Um, I'm just going to be chugging along through Christmas. So at least for the next six, seven, eight weeks, that'll sort of be the schedule. It'll change a little bit over Thanksgiving, Um, which oh fuck that's next week so I should probably talk about that this week then right Um, so next week I'm going up to Pennsylvania for Thanksgiving slash Christmas with my with my side of the family Um, so I won't be around Thursday and Friday to stream I'll be up in Pennsylvania with uh, satellite internet great so I won't be able to stream but I will be streaming next Tuesday evening and I'll probably stream another podcast that evening But yeah, so that's sort of the plan for the next couple weeks, at least through Christmas. Um, And then we'll sort of reevaluate once Christmas break ends and I'm going back to work and getting back into a normal schedule and that sort of stuff. But without further ado, Video Game Spirituality Part Two Kirby, we are the sum of our parts. Let's talk about it. Welcome back, everyone. Um, so this week, we are going to be talking about Kirby, the adorable little cream puff made popular by the game producer, Nintendo. So really what we're going to be doing today, um, this episode, first off, I'm going to be explaining who Kirby is and what Kirby is, because some of you might not be um, familiar with Kirby, some of my listeners. Um And then we are also going to be going through the confrontation between the true self and the false self, um, particularly through the lens of looking at it through our personal experiences, through what we take in as individuals, what we take in day in and day out, and how that shapes and forms us into our true selves and how that helps us determine who we truly are and that sort of false self, shadow self. Um, which is oftentimes the things that the rest of the world are saying that we are. Um, so these are pretty general notes. I'll sort of be doing this on the fly, so hopefully it doesn't suck. Um, but yeah, so that's what we're going to be talking about this week. So f- to start off, we're going to be explaining who Kirby is. Um So Kirby essentially is a character in the Nintendo universe who has this cool superpower where he can basically eat things, eat people, eat bad guys. um, And by eating them, he takes on their unique powers. Um, So he can swallow a fireball and all of a sudden Kirby can spit fire. He can swallow a tire and all of a sudden he's like a little roadster tire thing um, he can swallow a swordsman and become a sword um, swashbuckler kind of person he can swallow a polar bear and then have the ability to freeze things so that's sort of what Kirby is um, and Kirby's nemesis in the Kirby games is this individual called King DDD and King DDD is Sort of like this big looking duck thing. It's kind of um, unsure what King Dedede is, but King DDD D. D. also is able to eat things. But the thing about King DDD D. D. is he just spits it back out. He doesn't swallow it. He doesn't take on those characteristics because King D, D. D. believes himself to be too perfect of a being. So these two entities are very similar. There's a lot of similarities between Kirby and King DDD, um, sort of in their mannerisms and the way they go about doing things and the way they interact in the games. Um, but at the same time, they're also very different and the way that they interact with their surroundings is very different. Um, so that's sort of a quick, quick... Um, debriefer on who Kirby is, what Kirby is, um, and essentially, Kirby's goal is to um, collect star wands um, and really defeat King DDD. It depends from game to game. Sometimes Kirby is collecting um, star shards, and other times he's collecting star wands. Um, in other games, Kirby just rides around on a star. Um, So there's also this very much like dreamland cosmic scope to Kirby's world, um, which is really interesting as well. And guess what? This whole episode is going to be talking about how you, too, are Kirby. That's right, folks. You all are the adorable little cream puff who eats everything in your sight. (laughs) I don't mean that literally, obviously. The way in which we are all Kirby is that we are all taking in the experiences and everything else that's occurring around us at this present moment. Um, And one of the unique aspects of Kirby is Kirby is able to process those experiences well. He's able to digest them. He's able to work through them and also able to let those empower him. So when we experience these happenings around us, when we are looking at the political landscape around us, when we're facing adversity, when we find a moment of joy or passion, um, when we find those moments of liberation and freedom, how we interact with those is very important. You know, when we let ourselves enter into this flow of love that I talk about a lot, lot. when we enter in this flow of being here and being now and being present in our emotions and our feelings and what it is that's going on around us. Which, believe me, as someone who struggles with being in the here and now, I struggle with this aspect of Um, processing what's going on around us. But when we're present, when we're fully present in our emotions, when we're fully cognizant of everything that's going on, um, that's a way that we can process our experiences and everything that's happening around us well. Another way to think about this is contemplative meditation. Um, This is one of the things that the contemplatives, such as Richard Rohr, um, such as St. Francis of Assisi, um, St. Bonaventure... Um, I'm trying to think of other famous contemplative minds. Gandhi. Um, I would argue Gandhi is in this realm. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King, although he's a little more action-oriented. But these people are able to view what's going on around them and stay deeply rooted in the here and now, in what's going on inside of them, in their morals, in their... um, their commitments they're able to not be swayed and torn around because they're rooted in something deeper they're rooted in that flow of being here now Um, another way that we process these things is when um when we name what's going on inside of us when we actually just take the time to inventory you know what is this emotion i'm feeling what is going on in the country around me why are these things happening and taking the time to reflect and name what needs to be named that's a way that we process things um When we claim who we are and where we come from, when um, we no longer try to hide ourselves behind this mask of, well, I didn't come from central Pennsylvania. I didn't come from Podunkville. Like, um, you know, I'm trying to be this big city person. I don't know. That's a very lame example. But, you know, those sorts of things where we're no longer trying to hide ourselves from who we truly are that's a way in which we can process things and when we process the experiences around us when we process through our emotions when we do that interior work when we are rooted in the here and now we're able to be empowered um i am firmly of the belief that gandhi and martin luther king jr did not just wake up one day and said you know what I'm going to go on strike, I'm going to resist, I'm going to say no to the powers at will, I'm going to say no to the powers and principalities. They, I firmly believe they had this understanding of truly understanding what's going on, truly understanding the voice of the people that they were representing, um, truly understanding their own emotions and their own role to play in all of that. Uh, They did that. Processing um, step. And that empowered them to be able to make massive change in the world, uh, massive liberation for a massive amount of people. That's what happens when we're able to process well. We're able to make critical and impactful change within our lives, within the lives of others, and within the lives of the cosmos itself. Um, you know, for instance, if we process well what's going on in climate change, if we process um, how it's impacting us, how we can resist it, how our roles and our individual actions impact climate change, if we actually process through that, we can make a lot of change. Um, Yes, there's large hurdles to be overcome and everything else like that but when we take the time to process it when we take the time to think of it when we don't just get swept up into the emotions of oh it's all for not everything's going to die there's nothing I can do when that happens it's almost like we lose our footing and we're washed away um Because we're not actually processing those emotions. We're not actually processing those experiences. We're not actually thinking through, well, how is this impacting me and the people around me and the world around me? No matter how large or small the scale might be, this could be as big as climate change. This also could be as small as letting an addiction serve as your coping mechanism um, rather than working through your emotions, you try to drink them away. Um, When we lash out in anger at someone who we love most, even though we're not angry at them, we're angry at this other thing. We're angry at something that happened at work. We're angry at something that we did ourselves. Um, And instead of communicating that to our loved ones, we lash out in anger. Um. When we doubt ourselves based off of where we've come from or what others have said about us, um, when we doubt ourselves based off of these outside factors and these outside names and these outside labels that get thrown onto us. Um, you know, when we say, Well, I'm just a small town kid from the middle of Pennsylvania, I can't do anything about climate change. I can't do anything about big agriculture. I can't do anything to actually change the world. I can't do anything to actually change myself um, because of where I'm from, because of who I am, because of the places I've been and the things that I've done and the things that people have said I've done. I can't do it. That's not processing what's around us. In a way, it's a type of avoidance, and when we avoid it, when we don't process it, it oftentimes can become harmful. One of the interesting things about the Kirby games is um, when Kirby hangs on to something for too long, um, it either there there are items that make Kirby explode and hurt Kirby, um, and then there are also items where they'll ultimately get spat out in some nameless form as a projectile towards something or someone else. Um, And in a sense, that's the result of not being able to process. And I know these connections are kind of loose. I promise it makes it does make sense. I hope it's making sense for you. Um, But when we don't process these things, they can explode in our face. They can become projectiles that are harmful to others. They can become harmful to ourselves. They can be harmful to the world around us. And one of the key points of when it comes to processing this stuff Um, One of the key aspects of being able to process this stuff is being someone who is rooted and secure in who you are in your true self. Um, When you're rooted in this self of presence, rather than being rooted in this shadow self, in this false self, in this self that's named and claimed by these outside factors. Um, So there's, there's a a confrontation, so to speak, between the true self and the false self. And that's, I've done a podcast before about the true self and the false self. And we've talked about this before. The false self is not necessarily always bad. Um, The false self is not necessarily always to be demonized. The false self can be very helpful in helping us to frame our context and helping us to frame the world in which we live. But ultimately, it doesn't run deep enough Um, and that's that's the key of what this processing this key of what taking in what's around us um, is is because when we process when we take these experiences around us and really let them empower us let them change us let them shape us it's something that happens on a much deeper level it happens at a soul level, at a root level, at an underground source level. Whereas the shadow self just wants it to stay at that shallow level, at that um, just surface, surface area. Um, and this is where King DDD really comes into the fore in this whole analogy between Kirby and and the true self and the false self and taking in what's around us because as i said before king ddd serves as sort of the antithesis of kirby um king ddd simply inhales what's present around him and then he chews it up and uses it as a weapon against his enemies um he doesn't take the time to let it shape him. He doesn't take the time to let it mold him. He's the person who says, yeah, this thing is happening, so I am going to drink it away. He's the person who says, this is so overwhelming that there's nothing I can cling to, so I'm going to wallow in self-pity and doubt and depression. And not to say that any of these are not necessarily valid, um, I've experienced many of these feelings myself. It's it's not something that you'll be able to um, tackle every single day of your life. But King DDD serves as this like surface level false self being where they just take it in real quick and then spit it out. Um, it's not something that they can retain. It's not something that they have the strength or the willpower to rest in and sit in and say. This sucks, but I'm going to sit here and I'm going to work through it because I'm angry about something and I need to figure out what I'm angry about. Um, King D.D. just says, I'm fucking angry and then takes that anger out on someone. Um, And the the interesting piece, and I think one of the things that video games does really well um, is it paints... These heroes, um, these exemplars like Kirby, like Link. Um, and yes, there's flaws. Yes, there are things that can happen to them. Yes, they can be hurt. Like we talked about in Nakarino Time last year, there is failure. There is doubt. Um, there's these human aspects to these heroes, oftentimes. But ultimately, the whole unified present self is much stronger and much more substantial than the surface level shadow self. Um, so these heroes in video games prove to defeat the enemy, defeat evil. And in the case of Kirby, Kirby defeats King DDD oftentimes by using those powers of processing, by using what's around him and taking them in unto himself and using that in order to defeat this surface level big boss bad guy. And it's the same in real life Your whole, unified, present, true self is much stronger, much more substantial, much more rooted in something that is not going to waver than the surface level shadow self. Um, You know, in the shining light that exposes us and makes us vulnerable and rips us open, the present self, the true self stands strong while the shadow self is melted away and is unable to prevail it's similar to the Bible story that some of you may know where um, Jesus tells this parable about a man who builds his house upon the rock and a man who builds his house upon the sand and we talked about this in the um, true self versus false self episode which feels like a very very long time ago um but when we're built on a foundation, when we're rooted in something deeper, um, when we're able to take in those experiences and not be just like shifted from one one extreme to the other, we're able to stand even in the midst of a storm, even in the midst of a shining light which breaks us open and causes us to be vulnerable. Whereas when we're just sitting at that shadow self level, when we're just sitting at that surface level, If that initial wave comes through and washes something away or if your facade is broken open by this exposing light and there's nothing else to find below that, that's when you start to feel those moments of midlife crisis of feeling like, who am I? I have no idea who I am. I have no idea what I'm doing in this world. Hell, I like to think I'm pretty good at, you know, staying rooted in my true self as much as I can. And I still have those moments where I think, who the fuck am I and who the hell do I think I am and where the hell am I doing, going, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing. You know, these are very common experiences and questions for people to have Um, and finding that rootedness in the true self, finding that. Deeper piece of ourselves that's not going to change no matter what. Um, That is key. Um, Those things about us that will never change. Um, You know, being able to name and claim that, yes, I am from rural Pennsylvania. I grew up Mennonite. That is a piece of me. My theology, my spirituality has been keenly shaped by the the focus on peace that I grew up with in my Mennonite upbringing. Um, my world has been shaped by what I've learned, the people I've interacted with, by all of those experiences. But I've also done a lot of reflective work on that. I am constantly in a state of thinking through what is going on in my life, how am I, um, how am I interacting with it, how am I reacting to it, um, how is this impacting my relationship with my wife, my relationships with my family and friends, um, all that sort of stuff are questions that are constantly running through my mind and questions that I'm constantly trying to answer. Uh, because they're questions that really point beyond just me at my surface level as a admissions counselor, gamer, streamer, creator. There are things that point to a much deeper part of myself that no matter what I do, those aspects are going to be a part of me. Um, and that's that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about being rooted in this true self. It's having that ability to really peer into the soul, peer into your relationships and say, okay, what parts of these are inherent to me, are inherent to these relationships, that no matter what we're doing, no matter what other people are saying, this is always going to be a part of me. There's nothing I can do to change my upbringing. There's nothing I can do to change the fact that I grew up Christian. There's nothing I can do to change what I learned in school. There's nothing that I can do to change the experiences that I had. Sure, my job might change. My living location might change. Some of my relationships might change. But ultimately, everything that I've done and everything that I've experienced has keenly shaped who I am. And instead of letting that wash over me, I decide to process that. And let those things empower me into who I'm continuing to become, who I truly am. Um, There's no doubt in my mind that my experience in church and my experience in the Mennonite church in particular, my experience in education, in college, uh, my experience as a homeschool student, all of those things are playing themselves out here now as I'm giving this live podcast to you, the viewers and the listeners. Um, but one of the things that I would stress when talking about the true self, when talking about, you know, these, these, these names that we have for ourselves, these ways that we frame things, there's a huge difference between who we truly are and who others say we are. Let me repeat that again. There's a huge difference between who we truly are as individuals, as communities, and as a world than who others say we are. Someone can call you a fuck-up. That does not mean that you are a fuck-up. I would argue that everyone messes up at some point or another in their lives. That does not make you a fuck-up. That's something that I need to tell myself constantly. You are not less than anyone else because of who you are, where you come from, your culture, your heritage, your sexual identity, your gender identity. You're not less than anyone else based off of nationality or anything else like that. That's something that a lot of people will say to you. Based off of, well, you're a Christian, so you're less than me. You are, I mean, historically, we've done, white people have done a really good job of saying anyone who's not white is less than us. Um, those are things that other people say about others, which does not have any bearing on who we are as individuals. And like I said, False self does a really good job of framing. These things that I'm talking about, this framing is destructive. You know, it's fine to listen to what other people have to say about you. But if it's going to be something that's destructive, then it's not worthwhile listening to and it's not worthwhile clinging to. Because ultimately your skin color, your sexuality, your place on the gender spectrum, Um, Your culture, your heritage, your nationality, it doesn't dictate your status as a human being. We're all human beings. There's no one who's a second-class citizen based based off of anything. When we view people through the lens of the true self, we're just vibrant energy and spirit and flesh and bone and everyone else is vibrant energy and spirit and flesh and bone. And everything around us is vibrant energy and spirit and flesh and bone. Because ultimately the true self, um, being rooted in the true self, being able to look through the lens of the true self, you're ultimately an amalgamation of your experiences. Who you are, What you've seen, um, your present unbelievable uniqueness, there are no others who can walk in your exact shoes. You have experienced hardship, Um, you have experienced pain, you have experienced joy, unlike anyone else. um, Some of the things might be similar to other people's experiences, but ultimately your experience, your particular circumstance, no one else has lived that. No one else knows that. If you've experienced hardship, then you probably have a keen sense of how to right those wrongs in the future. Um, but no one can say that they have the exact same experience. Because ultimately, we're an amalgamation of our experiences. And that's what brings uniqueness. That's what brings Diversity is because we all have different experiences. We all react differently. We all have different emotions for different things. And that's where beauty comes from. And that's where the true self steps in and says, you're diverse, you're unique. But at the heart, you also share that same spirit and energy because we're all flesh and blood. So where the false self, where the dangerous false self says, we're going to frame these things so that other people feel other than us, the true self says, no, we're all part of the whole thing. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Um, And the false self at its most destructive tries to keep us from truly confronting and processing through what is around us. The destructive false self says, tells us that we can just idly slip through each and every day. It's what tells us that our calling is too hard. It's what keeps us entrenched in apathy. It doesn't let our experiences empower us or let our experiences be our teacher. Instead, it uses those experiences much like a bomb within us and it explodes our insides and vibrates through everything and everyone and surrounding us and it becomes a projectile of death and destruction. Um, one of the most impactful experiences or one of the most keen examples of this, I should say, that's found within the Bible is the story of David and Bathsheba. So now is the time where Eric paraphrases the Bible. Yay! Um. So basically, David... The story of David and Bathsheba is David at this point is king of Israel and his army is off fighting and normally the king would be off fighting with the army but David decided nah, I don't want to do that. So he hangs out in his capital city which I believe is Jerusalem at the time and he's hanging out on his roof just checking out the city and all of a sudden he sees this naked lady taking a bath on another rooftop somewhere close by his palace and he says you know what? I want to have sex with that lady, so what he does is he invites this lady to his palace and essentially sexually assaults her. Um, it's not it's not a great look for David. Um, he would definitely be suspect to the Me Too movement today. Um, it was definitely, at the very least, definitely an imbalance of power. Um, I would not be afraid to say that David raped Bathsheba. So David did this thing. um, And then David proceeded to, instead of Feeling remorse instead of working through his guilt, instead of working through his fear, instead of working through his anxiety, he decides to try to cover it up. Because if he can cover it up, I mean, he's the king. He can pretty much choose anything that he wants to. He can he can craft the narrative that he wants other people to hear. And eventually he finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant. And he's like, oh, shit. She's actually married to one of my generals. Um, So David tries to trick his way into hiding that the kid isn't his. So he tries to get his general to sleep with his wife. Um, The general's name was... Oh, fuck. What's the general's name now? I can't remember the general's actual name. So we'll just call him Steve for now. Um, So David tries to get Steve to sleep with his wife Bathsheba and Steve's like no bro the rest of my friends are fighting and I do not feel right having sex with my wife while the rest of them are on the front line so David's like ah, fuck um, so then he makes this crafty plan to send Steve to the front lines and then he tells the rest of the soldiers back up so Steve gets fucked by arrows um, so Steve eventually dies and David as the consoling king takes Bathsheba into his loving arms and takes her as his wife because that's a thing that people in Israel did they did this whole thing where if your husband dies you had to remarry because it's all about having more kids but anyway David goes to these great lengths to avoid what is going on deepest inside of him He's going to great lengths to craft the narrative to be able to still come across as this righteous and good king. He's trying to craft this narrative to protect this facade, this false self of what it means to be king. And it eventually bites him in the butt. I mean, say what you want about this. Um, I don't particularly um think this was... Uh, meant to be literal. I think it was more of a literary device. But um, David's child through Bathsheba ends up dying at birth. And the story talks about it is because of David's sin. It is because David decided to live in that dangerous, destructive, false self rather than living into his true self and really processing through what he had done and how he could make it right. Not that there is an easy way to make any of that right. Um, And after his kid dies, that's when David has that moment of remorse and that moment of grief at what he had done. He let his false self carry him away and it was like a bomb that exploded and it damaged him but more importantly it damaged Steve Bathsheba's husband in the form that he died David was a murderer Um, it damaged Bathsheba because of the imbalance of power because of the sexual assault um, because of the emotions that go into losing your husband and then having another kid's another guy's kid and then watching that kid die um, it damaged the son who eventually died Um, it damaged a lot because David refused to process through and take in his experiences and really work through it instead he just wanted to cling to this false self and say I can chew everything up and just spit it back out and everything's fine because I'm king That's what I'm talking about. Hopefully you don't have an experience that's that extreme. But that's what I'm talking about when I say it's important to take in your experiences, much like Kirby does. Because they are things that can empower us. They are things that continue to go with us. They are things that can help us be stronger tomorrow. That can help us be shaped and formed into who we're truly meant to be. Because when we bask in the light, um, when we're truly present with our experiences, when we name and claim who we truly are and not what others tell us we are, when we cling to this true self and we don't cling to the dangerous, destructive, false self, it's liberating. And when we're liberated, it's as though we're soaring through the infinite cosmos among the stars, like Kirby does. Because Kirby is an expert at taking in his experiences around him and processing through them and letting them empower him. So may you, friends, be empowered by the experiences around you. May you be empowered to live into your true self. May you be inquisitive and reflective so that you can ask the questions that point towards who you truly are. May you not be dissuaded or dismayed by what other people say about you. May you not be stuck in the surface level false self that continually tries to prod you away from that deeper living and that deeper meaning. And may you soar through the infinite cosmos upon stars just like fucking Kirby. That's right. You friends, please be like Kirby. Peace and love y'all.